Welcome to season two of our Brave New You Tribe podcast. I'm your host, Lou Hamilton, co-founder with Meredith Hepner-Chapman of Brave New You Apparel. I interview real-life brave new girls and guys who have chosen a road less traveled, risen to the challenges, and found the courage to keep going when the going gets tough. They share the lessons they've learned, their wins, and their vision for the future. Brave, bold, and sometimes bloody-minded, they bring you their stories from the edge. This week, we have Emma Campbell, author of All That Followed, a story of cancer, kids, and the fear of leaving too soon, a memoir that takes us on a roller coaster ride of IVF followed by triplets and the bombshell diagnosis of cancer. In the ensuing 10 years, she juggled being a single mum of four kids, writing, treatment, and the ever-present fear that the cancer would come back. Emma talks about her journey, about the angels that help her and the demons that haunt her. Welcome, Emma, to Brave New You Tribe. How has life in lockdown been in the last couple of weeks? Oh, gosh, um, I'm good. Thank you. It's lovely to be here and chatting to you today. It's been OK. On the whole, it's been OK. Pretty intense. There are six of us at home. The homeschooling has got the better of me on many, many occasions. But apart from that, I think it's been like I think a lot of people are saying, there have been quite a few positives in terms of everyone just kind of stopping, slowing down, feeling less pressure. And I've really appreciated the sort of tempo of it. So, yeah, it, it's not the easiest household. So there's been a lot of intensity over the last few weeks with the kids and stuff. But we're, we're doing OK on the whole. Do you miss life outside lockdown or is there something in this that you quite like I think again it's I think I keep having this conversation with people I think we're all almost becoming quite edgy aren't we about about re-emerging into the world and I miss my friends I miss giving my mum a hug and all of those kind of obvious things but actually the benefits of just not of, of very low expectations I'm really I'm just going with the flow a, little, a, a lot more and um yeah, and, I, and I'm feeling the benefits of us all being together, even though I've just said how challenging it can be. I, I remember feeling very early on at the beginning of lockdown that it was feeling very healing because from a, from a mum's point of view, feeling much more present with the kids and like I was properly being mum as opposed to kind of there have been so many periods over the years where I've, for you know, health reasons or my kind of mental health, just feeling very unpresent and consumed by what's going on in my head or my body and actually it's been it 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 felt really nice at the beginning just to be kind of pottering about you know making them their lunch and kind of us all it, I felt quite hustly and bustly I felt like oh this is how this is how I've wanted motherhood to feel do you know what I mean and now like however many weeks on it's like oh god forget that <laughs> if I have to make one more cheese and ham toasty I think I'll scream but yeah there'll be lots lots of positives you know for, for us personally obviously it's a hugely challenging thing for the world to be going through. I want to take you back to 2011 with a little boy and triplets. You're single and recovering from breast cancer and you started writing a blog. What was it about writing that helped get you through? Yeah, you're right. In 2011, I'd sort of come through an incredibly difficult year, um, incredibly difficult few years, really. Um, And I'd spent most of that period in in really in survival mode you know the very slow difficult traumatic breakdown with my children's dad was all consuming my fertility journey was all consuming 
the pregnancy, knowing that I was carrying triplets was all consuming and the kind of there was just drama everywhere and a feeling of life imploding, really. But I'd always written. I'd always wanted to be a writer. I'd kind of had little writing opportunities here and there. I'd written a couple of plays years ago. I, I, I'd little bits and pieces, but I'd never quite managed to make it the thing that I was earning my living from. But it was always, you know, I've always been someone who's journaled, who's kept diaries. I did The Artist's Way in my 20s, and that sort of transformed so much of the way I look at writing and creativity. So so I'd always been someone who got my thoughts down on paper. But during that time, I think everything stopped other than just kind of surviving, really. So when, um, you know, yeah, coming to the end of that initial big bulk of treatment, the babies maybe were a yearish old and... Yeah, it really that starting the blog at that point. I mean, I had no, I don't even know if Instagram existed, but I had no idea about Instagram. But blogging, everyone was blogging, weren't they? It was like everyone's got a blog, and I just very much started it. Probably like most people, with a kind of this is just for me. I'm just getting my thoughts down. From the very beginning, I it didn't occur to me to be anything other than completely honest. So it really was very intimate, without kind of exposing some of the darker things that had gone on in my relationship, you know. But as far as managing as a mum, the babies, my cancer journey, I just poured everything out. And I think as the blog went on, I became more and more honest. And I remember, you know, a friend of mine saying, oh, I almost feel like, I almost feel like it's I'm reading your diary. I think, you know, certain feedback was it almost people felt like they were intruding by reading it. But of course, now, 10 years on, we're so used to through social media. That's how so many of us communicate and share, you know, which I think is brilliant. But yeah, it it was a it was a really positive thing. And it was something for me, you know, it was just a very positive outlet. Despite the small audience, you know, it wasn't like it suddenly took off and became this big blog, but it was my and it just reminded me that I could write. And it was like, oh, I that lovely feeling of reading your own words after, you know, for so many years I felt like my creativity had been put in a box. I and mean, it was almost too painful to open that box, that kind of dream of being a writer. You know, because I've had some points over the years where I felt like, oh, I'm on the cusp of being able to call myself a writer. I'm on the cusp of an opportunity actually coming to fruition. And it never quite did. And and so just by having a, a little blog, it was like, oh, I can I can. I'm quite good at this. And this comes quite naturally. And this makes me so happy. And it was yeah, it was a lovely, innocent part of that of that time. You know, the first steps. And the brilliant thing about blogging is that no one has to give you permission to do it. It's very personal, but it's completely your own and you you decide in which direction it goes. And that led to me then, um, it gave me a little bit of confidence and I then started writing for a, a magazine for parents of multiples, which was another lovely little kind of, and it just carried on in that style, very much writing comfortably about my own experiences and my own emotions um, in a very honest way. It's all I know how to do really. <laughs> and you are very honest and very open. What's your inspiration behind that? Because you could hide behind words, but actually they're your springboard. Yeah, because I I honestly don't know how to not be honest and truthful. And I guess it must help me most of all. You know, I'm not I'm not I'm kind of I just write from the sort of gut, really. I write from in the only way I know how, which is truthfully. And and as a result, a lovely sort of side effect of that is that people have said how relatable my writing is and the kind of exact you know that we've all got those words that we read that someone else has written that kind of give you a feeling of relief and shared connection and kind of understanding and you know and I think that's the gift of of truthful you know autobiographical uh, expressive writing is that you just it connects you and it gives other people permission to then speak their truth and have those conversations and 
and that's what again for me you know the kind of in the, the social media world has been nothing but positive because there are so many of us now just speaking our truth on a daily basis and and the highs and lows and it's just if I'd I said this a lot lately because I'm, I'm I'm now in my 10th year you know I mean this is my anniversary weekend actually the bank holiday weekend of June May June 2010 was when I got my diagnosis I was had the sort of agonizing three-day wait knowing that I was ill but waiting for the Tuesday to get the final acknowledgement and yeah it's just if I'd had what I have access to now other people's stories other people's experiences other seeing other women really coming through thriving for want of a better word you know parents despite all the emotional support I had and the friends and the family in my own head I was incredibly alone and I think it would feel very different now if I had access to what I've got access to now. And that's what's great about communities that form around cancer, around being a mum, around mm. any group that you feel you need to be part of. It's incredible. You know, at the moment, we're kind of dealing with, you know, this is the one area that I'll sort of talk cryptically about because, you know, we talk, we're dealing with some challenges at home, you know, with with one of my beautiful children um, that are quite kind of heartbreaking and upsetting and and that's the one thing that I kind of, you know, obviously I, I might chat about it on stories, but I don't say very much on the grid because I think at some point, you know, it will all, all be there. But even that kind of me tentatively dipping my feet into that community now, it's, it's just again, it's like the information out there is just endless, isn't it? Rather than Googling online and reading some piece of text, you can scroll of a thumb, you can delve right into the heart of someone, some another family's experience. It's those personal stories that are so revealing and we can connect with them on that level. So from the blog came the book? So the blog started in about 2011, and I had lots of people in a very lovely way saying, oh, you should write a book, you should write a book. And that was always, I had lots of sort of false starts. And in the rare periods when life felt quite balanced and stable, and as the kids were growing and maybe having a few hours at nursery here and there, it was like, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write this book, I'm gonna write this book. And actually, the early chapters of the book, I did I did write around that time, so probably eight, nine years ago, but I never got any further than that. And I just carried on blogging. And I've always I find it hard to just write in a vacuum. I've got a discipline, but it wasn't until uh, a sliding door moment where I got chatting to the man who was my agent, who just it was basically it was an amazing company that I was I worked at work at part time. And lovely John literary agent walked past reception and I'd never spoken to him before and he just it was a sort of Thursday afternoon it was reception was really quiet and he said oh god I need some new clients it was a kind of throwaway comment and my lovely colleague said oh you should read Emma's blog she's a great writer and I kind of was like oh and he went oh okay send it to me and I nervously sent the link up to his you know on email and then about an hour passed and I thought oh gosh that's really awkward and I'm gonna have to kind of awkwardly look at him in the kitchen you know tomorrow when I come in and he came down and he said wow I love what a story I love the way you write I think this could be something why don't you come and have a chat tomorrow and by the end of that that Friday he'd sort of taken me on and we'd agreed that we, I was going to write this book and that's just then propelled me that's all I needed I just needed someone to say yep yeah, you know and then I was lucky enough to get a book deal you know a few months later which was amazing but I think if that hadn't happened I would have struggled on my own to to get it down you know I needed that push I needed someone to really believe in it because life's just so busy and you just get I get we get distracted don't we and caught up in so many things but that that gave me the absolute push I need and I am just so grateful for it did you feel any trepidation or did you already have a writing routine that you could slot into that period of time was quite a difficult period again because you know my husband and I 
weren't going through a great phase. He was, his drinking was becoming a real problem. You know, the kids, it's always quite demanding at home. My health anxieties weren't great. But all of that aside, I somehow managed to compartmentalize and write the book. And I can honestly say it was just, even on the days where I didn't know what the hell I was writing and the page was empty, it was the happiest. It was, I would pin every single day. I just felt like the luckiest person alive because it was a dream, it was a dream come true. It was like I was doing the thing that I love more than anything. I was in my happy place. I was following my bliss, which is one of my favorite, you know, kind of sayings. And and I just felt incredibly privileged to have been given that opportunity. So so in a way, even when it was feeling like a struggle, it was a joyous struggle. The hardest bit was because it's a memoir, was navigating how I was going to touch on, you know, the relationship with my kid's dad. And obviously I was told at the beginning, just get it all down, just get it all down. So I did that. And then it it came to a kind of legal read right at the end. And I had to take out about 6,000 words which felt devastating, but actually, again, absolutely the right thing, because even though it lost some of the the, la- the dark layers, you know, I always said from the very beginning was like, how am I going to explain this trauma, that terrible moment, what finally led us to, to break up? But I always said to myself, as long as I can sleep at night, as long as I have a clear conscience that I've written my truth and that I've not, I, I tried to take as much responsibility for our breakdown as I possibly could. And I think that comes across that it obviously you can read between the lines in in some of what went on, but it was a very, very complicated situation like most are. So that was a tricky, that was a a concerning aspect of writing it, but it's still, I feel really proud of it. I feel, I just, and I just feel like without saying this in a morbid way, it's there, the story's down. None of the kids have read it. My eldest son was 14-ish when it came out nearly two years ago. And I remember on the day of the day I got sent some books and I was like ecstatic and I opened, you know, the publishers sent me however many books, 15, 20 books. And I was just giddy as anything. And I, I got a copy and I flicked through it and then I got a pen and I signed a lovely message to Jake. And I knocked on his permanently locked bedroom door. Like, darling, you know, here's my book and he's, he's, I've signed it for you. And he just went, oh, mama, it's, it's all right. I don't really want it. And I was like, oh, but you've got to take it, darling. And he sort of politely took it, shut the door, locked the door. And then about two days later, he just turned up at my bedroom door and said, oh, mum, here's the book. I really don't want to read it. And I just felt really crushed. But of course, he will one day. You know, he's, he's 14, 15. It's agonizing age. And um, but that sort of brought me back down to, to earth a little bit. But yeah, at some point, I'm sure they'll read it. And I feel like I said, I've got a clear, you know, I know that I wrote it with complete honesty and truth and respect. I hope it, I hope it comes across that, you know, the darker moments are not too, too difficult to read. I think it's very, very honest, but it does also feel protective of the people that you love. You know, that really does come across. Oh, good. I forgot, of course, you've read it. Yeah, yeah, good. Well, And you know what I'm you kind of alluding to, I guess. There were so many complications to our story. There were so many reasons why things got to the point they did. And so, you know, I talk about my baby obsession, you know, the four years of desperately wanting a second baby and the miscarriages and the all-consuming focus, which, which did have a very negative effect on our relationship. I can't even, and it's only now looking back that, you think, God, that that must have been really hard for that person, you know, to just, you know, to have this woman who was just sort of in a fevered state of of longing, you know. And there are so many layers to the book and events that happen to you, you know, you're bombarded by one thing after the other. And I tried to put myself in your shoes and I just wondered, how did you manage to keep going? Um, I think for so long, I really was in survival mode and just reacting to everything and 
sort of being buffeted around by by life and I didn't really feel like I had any control and I think once the babies came it was so clearly about surviving for them without sounding you know it really it's just I had to be here I had to be here so it was just this so the positive of that was that I'm guessing it gave me a, a real strength to to just give the treatment everything I had and to kind of you know there was no respite you know I've had two diagnoses since then so I've had two other periods in my life of of cancer and active really active full-on treatment that time 10 years ago because of the age they were because of the demands of triplets and a a seven-year-old and getting up through the night and being a single parent it's like in a way I did just have to keep going and probably looking back that was the best thing every day there was that routine of the the feeds the walk the sleeping the nappies hospital treatment it was so it was so full-on so I just was on the treadmill of it and I think the hardest bits were after the hardest bits were the emotionally hardest bits were also almost you know once I'd got the all clear and once the treatment had stopped it was like well now the hell what you know now I just got to somehow be a mum and be a normal mum and 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 I was crumbling inside you know because that that fear of of not being here for them just was again I'd gone from one obsession to another it just consumed it paralyzed me it paralyzed me and then I think as the years have gone on and with the other health bumps in the road slowly but surely I have found a way of not being so buffeted and I've somehow over 10 years I've found my strength and I've found the resources that I never believed I had I think I everyone always says oh you're so strong you're so strong and I for whatever reason I never felt strong I always felt very weak I don't know why whether whatever where that came from but I, I think my overriding emotion for so much of my life has been one of fear and worry and overthinking and catastrophizing it's like a default setting from very early on so therefore you can't how do you access the no of course I'll rise to this and I often tell the story of you know the the therapist that I saw for years following the first round of treatment you know the hospital directed me to her and she was a brilliant support for for several years and it became not just about cancer about the relationship about everything you know she she was great but I would turn up and I would be in a state of sort of internal hysteria about whatever the latest thing was or my anxiety or this doesn't feel right or I'm waiting for blood test results and or what do I do about their dad or whatever. And I remember her always saying to me, Emma, and she'd get me to sort of follow what she was doing. She'd lift, whatever, I want you to say after me, whatever happens, I will deal with it. And she'd sort of lift her hands up and then push it back. And I'd do it, but I was kind of going through the motions because I was almost laughing inside going, but I won't handle it. I won't handle it because I didn't ever believe I could. And now the difference is I know that I, I will. It's like for so many years, I, I had no belief, even, even though on the surface, I probably was li- looking like a, a strong woman who was coming through all these storms. But inside, I, I didn't feel my own strength. I just felt a real weakness. I'm proud now of where I am, you know, all these years on, that I, I can connect with my own strength. And then therefore that has a ripple effect on every other area of your life. It's like, well, of course I can be bold and do that. And of course I can put myself out there for that opportunity. And of course I can say, yeah, you know, I'm just, I've somehow slowly but surely (laughs) taking off the layers of fear that have really held me back. They have helped, they held me back. And that's hard. That's, and then I have periods where I think, God, I've wasted, I wasted so many years feeling afraid and small and not taking up my space and you know and now this is my time I think to I'm just there's an urgency now to make up for that and not an urgency because I think I won't be here in two or three years but an urgency just because big cliche but I know how precious time is and I know on those periods of life where I'm doing really well and my health is really well then god I I just want to eke out every 
moment because I do know how unpredictable things are, you know, and I've learned how to let myself be happy. I, I don't think I spent my 20s and 30s for some reason not feeling like it was safe to truly let myself feel joy because it was almost like but then something will, you know, being on red alert. I don't know. I, I haven't yet got to the bottom of where that all came from. For those who haven't read the book yet, can you do a sort of potted history of what happened? So, well, it was, a, so yeah, when Jake was kind of two, three, we started trying for a second baby. And um, over the course of the next three, four years, I had three miscarriages. And so it was kind of like a secondary infertility situation, which I just took me by surprise because I just, Jake had been a kind of happy accident. You know, we hadn't been together very long and he'd come along and so it just sort of was like a horrible dawning on me that, God, this isn't happening. And so it just very, very quickly, my nature being as it is, very quickly became, like I've said, quite a, a, an obsession. And we ended up, however, three, four years on having one round of IVF. And that's, you know, by some miracle. Um, well, we were told it was twins. And at the 20 week scan, we found little Theo hiding in a corner so that was another enormous enormous shock and that kind of upped the ante you know of everything that was going on we were living in a small two-bedroom flat you know up lots of stairs and it was it was not we were not neither of us were flying high on the career front it was like we were not set up to suddenly have this big family but I'd been very much in denial about kind of what can happen with IVF I was like oh don't be don't be silly you know we'll be a miracle if we have one baby and it's like okay we're having three <laughs> um and then yeah the, the relationship crumbled um the diagnosis happened and and then it really was there were very very hard years of single parenting baby triplets toddler triplets nursery age triplets an older boy and dealing with a very slow painful fallout from the relationship and then just as they just started reception jake started secondary school i was nearly at the kind of four five year clear and then i was re-diagnosed so it was like, you know, absolute devastation that I, I thought I'd done it. For the first time, I could feel the fear loosening its grip and the feeling of, no, I have come through it. I can put this behind me and I've done it. I've done it. And, and clearly I hadn't quite. And then met my lovely husband, Dave, in the most magical way. And that's that led that's led to a whole other chapter of life and kind of experiences and challenges. So how did he come on the scene? Yeah, so just the, the lovely sort of funny story that's a, a kind of uplifting part of the book is that I my best friend put me forward for 60 minute makeover 2014 so I came home one day and it was all kind of very exciting tv crew Peter Andre and Dave was one of the handymen on the show I didn't meet him that day um, but I do remember getting out of the car and kind of clocking him <laughs> and it wasn't until the show was aired six months later that you know got all the neighbors in we were all watching it it was a really brilliant um brilliant day so exciting and Dave got in touch via Twitter, sent me a little message and we just started messaging and I was on a high from the show and it was lovely to kind of have a connection still with someone from the show. And it turned into a little bit of flirty banter over the next few days and weeks. And it was lovely. It was just a very light kind of, but, but yeah, there did feel like there was a connection. And then we were just getting to the point of, right, we're going to, we're going to meet, we're going to go for that drink. And I was then told I had my cancer had returned. So I met him for the very first time face to face. The day after that second diagnosis, um, I drove to his house, which again now feels it all feels a bit mad. It's like I didn't know this man. And I got in the car, sort of dumped the kids with family and it's like felt very, very, very compelled to drive to, to meet him. It was like I need to know what this is, this connection that had built up over three, four weeks that had felt lovely and natural and kind of organic, that, that annoying word. 
and we were heading in a certain direction, you know, we would have gone for a date and seen what happened. But suddenly the, the diagnosis just, again, put everything out there. And it was like, we don't, so it was like, I can't, right, I need to know what this is. I'm, I'm about to head back into chemo. I don't know. This is really scary now. This is secondary breast cancer. This is my worst nightmare come true. But this magical thing seems to be bubbling away alongside it. So I felt very compelled to sort of know either way what it was. And on that first day, we, I sat in his cottage and we had tea and cake and we talked and and then by the end of that day it was almost like we were together from then you know and it was bizarre incredible you know and then the following a few days later I had my big scan and he came to my first chemo he was there from the day well absolutely there from day one and he moved in a year later got married a year after that but we've yeah we've had our our challenges like Dave um has is a year sober a year and a half sober but I hadn't realized when he moved in that he had a, a real dependency, um, an alcohol dependency. And so that was a kind of slow dawning of what, <laughs> what are you? an enormous issue that then kind of affected our lives. But he's now he's by, again, another miracle. He's sober and he's on his journey. And that's incredible to see. So we've gone through so much together. And then, you know, last year I had my third diagnosis and we were told that a week after he gave up. So again, these incredible timing parallels, you know, so five years ago, I was diagnosed and I met him the next day. Last year, he gave up January the 7th and literally kind of the following week, I was told I had cancer again. So somehow, oh, it's just, it's mind blowing. Everything's so intense, you know, and sometimes we're like, we stagger up to bed and we're like, oh my God, can't life just be bloody mundane and but I think we're both clearly on a path where it's yeah it's not it's not meant to it's not meant to be for us I think we're just on a very fast momentum you know kind of lots of life lessons in quite a short space of time but the growth is incredible it's not easy you know I had a blip a couple of weeks ago where I suddenly needed a pet scan so I went into a kind of off into a state of panic tried to manage it differently but of course the panic's still there the fear and then we just keep yeah we just keep pushing on through um, and he's amazing it's just incredible to see his life change and transform and it's fascinating I'm learning a lot from watching him we can learn a lot from how others deal with things I want to ask you about fear and anxiety and were you always fearful I've got one sister one older sister and we're so different in that I don't it's like I and I said this in the book it's like I sort of came out that way I for whatever reason and I haven't ever quite got to the bottom of it I've had sort of therapy over the years and I've talked about it a lot but I it's just some deeply set part of my makeup and nature to and I look back now and I think god the generation now I look back at my some of my childhood not behaviors because I was a very sort of quite a meek and mild girl and kind of well behaved and but I I look back at the anxieties I had and I think gosh now if I I would, if I was a parent now, I would be looking, really looking at that. And this isn't anything negative about my parents, but it was a different time. It was the seventies, eighties. And it's like, I always had this fear of fire and my mum would drive out of the house to go and pick my sister up from ballet. And it was like a 15 minute round trip. And I'd open all the windows in the house because I was kind of convinced that this fire was going to come, you know, but I don't remember ever telling, did I tell her about that? And if I did, why didn't, I don't know. I, you know, I felt very, like I was very on my own with those thoughts in my head. And um, yeah, so long-winded answer it's it's some I've always been known as a warrior you know oh, you know and Dave will say now is there anything you won't worry about and I start even now as far as I've come I'll start sentences with well I just worry that you know and it's like it is still something it's a work in progress yeah so I certainly haven't got there I'm certainly not over that 
um, and it will always be part of who I am to an extent but it is just learning how to manage it isn't it and I think for me a huge part of that is again it can all sound a little bit corny but really kind of exploring the idea of gratitude you know practicing gratitude and appreciation and realizing that gratitude and anxiety can't really occupy the same space and I don't manage to live in the now successfully all the time but knowing actually that the more you bring things back to the now and the more you bring things back to the present and that's what I've done a lot over the last couple of years with my with my cancer you know it's like right now I have to I almost have to do that kind of tunnel vision of like right now this minute things are okay this very second things are okay so all of this noise around but bring this minute right now I'm sitting talking to you or I'm sitting having my tea or you know particularly when I you know I've fallen in love with running particularly when I'm exercising it's kind of this minute you know classic example waiting for my PET scan results a week ago because something had my liver my liver markers had, had gone a bit dodgy and I was doing the usual kind of if it's the liver if it's the liver that you know you know going down the very darkest darkest roads and I was talking to my friend as we were to, as we were running and it, she's, and I, it was that realisation that but if I get that phone call saying, yes, we've seen something in your liver, I'm not going to suddenly fall on the floor and be an unwell person. I'm still the Emma who can currently run 5K quite easily or do you know what I mean? And it was that reminder of, OK, I'll be told those words, but it doesn't change right now who I am or how I feel. And that was a real kind of, oh, yeah, you know, because it's like it'd be very easy to immediately then feel like a very, very poorly person. Do you know what I mean? And it's just like, so I'm just, I'm just learning, I'm learning so much as I go and I'm still sort of navigating my way around it all. But yeah, my huge tendency of mine is to, to feel fearful, to worry about so many little things, to catastrophize. And it's something I'll always have to work on, but I'm, I'm slowly finding techniques. And a big part of that is focus minimizing what isn't working so well and maximizing the amount of energy to the things that are very much a kind of law of attraction approach of pivoting away from that uncomfortable feeling doesn't mean you have to always be in denial because I've spent too long being in denial as well about certain things but just shifting the thoughts to something that, that feels nice and that kind of soothing self-talk rather than you know oh god it's like it's okay it's okay just going general you know it's okay you know not always using such inflammatory dramatic language just sometimes just kind of it's okay right now it's it's okay you know so those little things kind of help me a lot they don't always it doesn't always work and you know the fears are always going to get the better of you sometimes aren't they yeah it's definitely the tools and strategies that you put in place that help yeah my daughter is 10 and a half and she's you know obviously they're, they're the triplets are on the cusp of this next phase of early adolescence and things but she's she keeps she's she's been quite sort of out of sorts lately and it manifests it comes out in quite a sort of challenging way where she'll be really squawky and quite angry and quite demanding for want of a better word and then I kind of I could see something's going on yesterday we she just says I just feel uncomfortable and it's kind of you she hasn't as a 10 year old she hasn't got the vocabulary to but I thought yeah we all know that feeling where you just something doesn't whether it's in your belly whether it's in your skin you know it doesn't feel right so we just had a real chat and we tried to break it down and then I last night she listened to a meditation like I just said let's go on YouTube and meditation for kids and this morning she went mom I listened to it till I fell asleep and so we've said we're both going to do that every night and it's I just think you know I've got lots of failings as a mum lots of guilt that I carry about the things I don't do or the things I haven't done well enough or whatever but I think at least if I can just keep if 
I can be that mum that that and I could feel her palpable relief actually because she has a little wall up quite a lot of the time and yesterday and I just held her really tight and I said I will always be that mum that you can talk to and I could feel almost visibly physically just surrender and it was you know because we're all you know she puts a little wall up as a 10 year old then I pull back or I feel you know and before you know it you're kind of all these separate pockets of in the house and they're the people you love most in the world but you've got to just somehow keep that connection and when things aren't going great how do your strategies for coping for staying present how do they work then so that's a really good point because you know I just had good news from my scan so it's very easy at the moment to kind of think yeah this is what you do and but actually when you are in that absolute crisis survival and your 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 world as you know it has disintegrated and imploded what what then you know and I think that's when you somehow maybe that's when surrender comes in and letting go and letting other allowing yourself which is a lot of what happened in the book to be held by other people and that's where I was incredibly fortunate in that you know I had an incredible sort of army of angels that stepped in and took care of so much for me they couldn't take away the thoughts in my head and they couldn't be there at three o'clock in the morning but I I did learn that was a lesson in really letting letting go and letting people help what was it that your friends offered that really helped you oh what it was was that they just took over without needing me to manage that I think even now you know I've got the most incredible group of friends and feel so grateful every day to them but even now if someone if there's a something happening that isn't great and someone says oh just let just let me know let me know if you need anything with the best will in the world that's kind of like it's almost like that's no good to me (laughs) because when the crisis hits you need someone just to sounds awful just do it (laughs) don't wait to be asked but it is almost like you you know we most of us don't find it easy to ask do we and I think the beauty of what went on for me was that these mostly women um but these people in my life just took it upon themselves to kind of take over so they you know they worked out the road I didn't even know they were they were drawing up a rotor of, of meals and trips to the hospital and babe taking the babies out I had no idea that was happening until it had almost been set up and established and you know there were say 15 friends who were all in in this in on this kind of plan but one of them was the one that communicated with me rather than 15 you know you know and especially now I can't even imagine with the way whatsapp is it's like it's just overwhelming and um so I think the biggest gift you can give someone who's going through anything just the tiniest gesture the most mundane simple thing just don't just do it you know just don't even don't certainly don't wait to be asked and barely even offer just kind of obviously you get the balance right and you're not forceful and barging your way in and but it's just I you know I always there's a few story you know coming back from chemo one day and a friend that I hadn't seen for years had heard that I wasn't well had not turned up at the house and I wasn't there I was at the hospital but she, I got back and she'd cleaned the floors and she'd taken all my the bedding away and and it was like oh my god you know that is that kind of thing or just I'm just passing I'm just at the same same speech do you need anything and I think it's just any pressure that you can eliminate from that person going through it is is just magical. And how good were you yourself at accepting help from others? On the practical front, I think I very quickly let go and just allowed it because I think because of the extraordinary situation of these babies, <laughs> you know, it was just everyone. We as a community, we were, it was my my story had been a drama way before cancer. Bloody hell! Can you believe it? I mean, you know, triplets, triplets. It was just this huge thing anyway. So throughout the whole pregnancy, forget the relationship dramas or anything it was just still this it was this talking point (laughs) 
you know, for months and months. So that I was already a, kind of had got quite used to going, yeah, okay, I'll take that bag of baby clothes. Or yeah, okay, come, please come and help me change a nappy. And then I, so I, I got quite good very quickly at accepting the practical help. The thing I really, really struggled with, and it still lingers now, I think, is financially, I wasn't in a very strong position at all. You know, I wasn't, I didn't have any savings. I relied on family help and I felt a huge amount of shame. I mean, I think I, I think I have lingering shame around money and the periods in my life where I've really had to lean on my family, you know, in a way that somehow you feel you shouldn't when you're in your 30s and 40s. It's an uncomfortable, lingering feeling that can somehow take me by surprise still now. But at that time, I did need financial help. And it's one thing accepting it from a parent, but I didn't ever ask for any, but there were other people in my life who kind of took it upon themselves to try and help financially, whether it was a, you know, I'd briefly tempt an, an office and they did a whip round, you know, and that's suddenly, you know, this wad of cash and it all was going towards childcare. It was all going towards allowing me rest time and, you know, to, to be able to pay babysitters and nannies and whatever to, to just give me that respite and sleep time and chemo time. So it was all very much accounted for. And everyone did it with the best will. But I did. I felt I felt kind of mortified that I needed it. And I felt somehow I think because of the, a lot of the toxic stuff that had gone on as during the breakup was I felt shame. I felt shame. I felt embarrassed. I felt like I'd wanted this baby and I'd stopped at nothing. You know, nothing was going to stop me. I was on this absolute path to the detriment of other areas of my life where I just wanted this baby and nothing was going to get in my way. <laughs> I got my babies and then it was almost like, oh, you got your babies, you got what you wanted. And now everyone else has got to pick up the pieces. And they're, they're things that were kind of said to me by, you know, in certain relationships. And, it, and I really absorbed that and I believed that. And I felt very, very guilty that, yeah, it was like you got what you wanted and now you can't now you can't cope. And I was very, very hard on myself on that front. If I think back to that, I think there's definitely sort of un, unhealed feelings around all of that now, you know. Yeah, I, I, I've needed a lot of a lot of um, support on lots of levels. So it's been a an interesting one. And financially, it's been a tough one to just go, OK, and as much as people can say, Emma, we want to help. It's fine. Or you just there's there's a lot of shame, isn't there, tied, tied in around um, accepting financial help as an, as an adult. And what would you say to other people maybe on their cancer journey who are experiencing those negative feelings like shame or whatever? Oh, gosh, it's a it's a. It's a hard one because that little demon voice is it can it can really hold on, you know, that negative kind of toxic rubbish that, that we hear, whether we're told it by another and we take it in or whether it's our own internal dialogue. It's very, very powerful and it takes a lot for it to loosen its grip. But I guess what would I say? Just just that compassion that somehow, you know, you wouldn't treat an animal the way, you know, the way we treat, our, you know, and the disregard and the kind of cruelty the verbal cruelty that we can you know show to ourselves I think is is yeah that I guess coming back to shame it's such a poisonous kind of emotion and I think I would just say I would beg that anyone else going through it to just please 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 be kind to themselves and to and to allow and also again I remember being told there's a there was a, a lovely family that lived near, lived along the road from us and he uh, the, the husband was was a vicar and he would sort of turn up on my door randomly and kind of, right, I'm going to mow the lawn today. And I'd be like, oh, no, no, Peter, you can't. You can't. No, honestly, it's fine. He'd say, Emma, you know, accept, accept, you know. And it's like, just surrender. Allow me allow me to help you. Allow us to help you. Allow your community to help you. Allow the people who love you so much to help you in whatever way. 
and trust that people will only help you in a way that feels right for them. And so, yeah, I haven't quite answered your question because it's a tough one. But I would hate anyone to feel the shame that that I felt and I would want to hug it out of them and love it out of them and for them to love themselves enough to know that they will find a way of giving back, not in a monetary way, but just in life, just by it all goes round, doesn't it? It all just goes round and we are all connected and we all, what is the point of anything if, if, if we can't just hold each other through times of difficulty? As my dad always says, don't hide your light under a bushel, but it's like, it's okay to have good fortune. It's okay for wonderful opportunities to come along or for surprises. And I think I spent a long time kind of playing things down because I felt, oh gosh, you know, yeah, it all comes back to worthiness, doesn't it? And and parental stuff, you know, my lovely mum who, you know, but there's a lot of voices from probably, you know, her upbringing and how she looks at life to kind of make me almost feel, who do you think you are? You know, that kind of, who do you think you are? Having, I remember, I'll never forget, like in all those kind of fertility years and my, you know, my ex-partner and I were both, like I said, we weren't flying high and he was, his work life was very erratic and both kind of stumbling along in lots of ways. And I remember my mum who, who's got a very sort of particular approach to money and her coming around she, and we were having a big sort of argument and she said, and you eat fucking roast chicken, you know, you work part time and you kind of, kind of saying that I shouldn't be eating a whole, I shouldn't, we shouldn't have a whole chicken in our fridge because how dare we, because we're not, it was just like an odd, I never forgot, it was like a mad sort of argument of like, oh, okay, I shouldn't really be eating a, I shouldn't buy a whole chicken because really I should just buy a couple of pieces because we don't deserve to be have a whole chicken. I mean, it sounds mad, but, you know, those voices are very loud. And I still have the feeling of I haven't given enough back. I haven't given enough back because I've always, certainly in my, in the, in my real life world, I feel that so much of the time I've been the one that's needed the help. And, you know, I hope that I can redress that at some point because it's, you know, that life will remain a little bit more drama free in the years ahead who knows and you give back through your words and your stories every day you give to people you don't know who maybe just waken up and you're there sharing your experiences and something you say can resonate with them and perhaps in that moment it gives them the courage to get up and face the day I'd love to that's amazing that's a huge that's the kind of biggest compliment isn't it I mean I, I that would be a wonderful yeah I mean, I, there's certainly an amazing love there on a virtual love of kind of mutual support and kind of messages of appreciation, which is just, yeah, I just, I will always speak my truth in terms of my emotions, I think. You said in your book that you didn't think of yourself as being brave, although you did win in the Best Magazine Brave Woman Awards. I wonder what you consider courage to be. Oh, gosh. <sighs> courage, again, so maybe maybe a feeling of surrender, a feeling of letting go of trusting that you have got what you need what you will find a way that you can access those that inner strength and that you will come through um and just facing things I guess and just trusting that that you there will be an end and there will be another phase of life and that you sometimes you've just got to hold tight and see see things through and there will be another side you know there will be that nothing stays the same. And I think it's all of those kind of elements of, okay, right now I need to buckle my seatbelt. I need to hold on. I need to gather all my inner strength, but there will be a sunny day again. There will be lightness again. You know, there will be. And I think maybe that's again, one of the differences where I finally got to a place where for so long, I didn't believe in any future joy or lightness. I, I didn't know how life would be without this feeling of 
running on adrenaline or fight or flight or being in survival mode. And I think now, even on a health front, if I imagine, imagine in the future getting bad news again, I think I know now that that doesn't mean I will never feel joy again or I'll never feel. So it's somehow just finding some perspective and a knowledge that and a belief that life is just full of everything, you know, and it's never just going to be just devastation. There'll always be the colours, you know, and the spectrum and however dark things are, there will be moments of magic, you know, and maybe that's what I'm finally learning and living with. And, and it's giving me a lot of, of, of strength, maybe. I don't know if that's answered the courage question, but such a work in progress, isn't it? It really is, you know, because when it comes to me, I feel like I'm getting there. If it comes to my kids, um, particularly, or a loved one, I still very much kind of find myself going into catastrophic mode and worst case scenario. So that's, it's, it's going to be a lifelong journey for me, I think, on that front. But as far as I am concerned, I feel like I've, I'm much better at, at using those tools. But yeah, maybe not so much with when it comes to the the emotional or physical well-being of the humans I love most on the planet. Yeah, that's always the hardest thing. Yeah, it is. It really is. It is. And who would you recommend as a brave new girl or guy for us to interview? Well, if if you were to to interview a brave new guy, it would have to be my amazing husband Dave, who's known as Sober Dave on Instagram, um, for his incredible courage and strength and determination and resolve as far as you know giving up drinking and on his new sober path and how he has he's transforming his own life but he's also offering such incredible tangible support to so many others um he really is he's on his path and he's and this is just the beginning for him so I feel I just he's a real example to me of someone who has done the hardest possible thing and has stepped into it committed to it and as a result now it's like the universe has gone yes we're completely behind you if it's a brave new girl one lovely amazing young woman popped into my head um, a lovely friend of mine called Georgie on Instagram she's known as George she's called Georgie Swallow and she is a beautiful strong vibrant sunshiny young woman who has had who was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma I think sort of three two three years ago and then had a recurrence last year. So had a really challenging couple of years. Is now clear in remission. But so it's but it's not just her cancer journey. She's kind of she's navigating life as a as a twenty something woman with you know hopefully her whole life ahead of her. But kind of having been through something that most twenty somethings don't go through. She's talking very openly about her self esteem, her body image, um, the negative chatter in her head, and how she's trying to sort of you know dealing with the physical effects of having gone through very brutal chemo and treatment and I just think she's a fantastic again I think god if I'd had you know some of the amazing young women that are out there now talking so openly and vulnerably and she's so she's so vulnerable her beauty so much of her beauty is in her vulnerability so she's a fantastic um new voice I think that that needs to be heard and thank you Emma for taking us into your world and inspiring us to keep going when our lives turn upside down and we don't know which way is up. Your courage in being so open about anxiety hopefully helps us to feel less fearful too. Oh, thank you so much. We've had such a lovely chat, haven't we? <laughs> yes. And I'd love to meet you in person when we're let out. And I've got your book. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. It's by my bed. It's next on my list and your looks your book fearless looks fantastic. So thank you so much. Thank you. And see you soon.
See you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Emma, for sharing these testing times in your life and for showing us how, when you feel the fears, you put those strategies in place so that you can keep moving forwards, dreaming big and living well. Please find Emma on Instagram at limitless underscore M or www.meandmy4.com. Thanks also to Podstar PR for producing the series and to you, our tribe, for listening. Download, rate and review on your podcast provider so that we can keep bringing you this free podcast. Goodbye for now and see you next time. Thank you.